Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the whole earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We may be seated. <clears throat> we heard in this um, gospel reading about, uh, well, for the last several weeks, really, about the lowliness of those who this great light was revealed to. Uh, here, you hear of the, the whole of Bethlehem being looked down upon as those who were, who were humble, that even the King, the Savior of the world, would come from among this humble, simple people. Mary is one of them, a, a, a young lady from an insignificant town, yet salvation is, takes root within her own womb. The shepherds ostracized from community, from, they, they were nomads, likely without a home, yet the announcement that salvation has come comes to them on this hillside declared to them by a celestial choir. They were invited to this event. These insignificant people, this insignificant young woman, invited into the story of salvation for all people. And then when they arrived, when they saw this baby, they encountered the baby lying in a feeding trough. Now these characters were insignificant by all... Uh, of our known indications, right? But there's some figures who hadn't appeared yet who now make their way into the scene, the figures that we're familiar with that sit around our nativity sets. And by all indica indications, these characters had everything. They were different. They were unique. They were the magi, the wise men. People looked to them for knowledge. People came to them. They were full of wisdom. And by judging the, by the gifts that they brought to the Christ child, they had plenty of riches. And so now you have two different kinds of people. You have insignificant people, poor and lowly, who are invited by these appearances. And then you have the magi, those who were lofty in society, those who were had risen above everyone else, those who had knowledge, those who had riches, two very pe different people invited to visit our Lord. But there must be something in common. There's something in common that invited them into the story. I guess the dichotomy that it, of which we could notice here is that those who have everything and those who have nothing all have a common need. It's something we kind of have to reach for. What, what is the need if it's not material? If it's not sort of superficial or on the surface? What is the need? What is the common thread that binds them together? At the core of all humanity, we see this language of all the Savior of all nations, the Savior of all people. The light has come. Whether your bank account is empty or full, 
by earthly measures you are successful or unsuccessful, whether you are well-learned or illiterate, cast out from society or held in high esteem. The story of the epiphany reveals a common longing shared by all of us. Think about this. Let's think specifically about these mag- the Magi. Can you imagine, what would compel wise men to load up their camels, to leave home, to travel what might have been years, loaded down with gifts, to come and bow down and worship the one who was born King of the Jews. What would compel them? Can you imagine yourself in this position? This week I was listening to a podcast and it revealed a recent study that had shown that Christians are more likely to rely upon medical means to extend their life than non-religious people. Isn't that interesting? That we, in our moment of greatest need, if we could have five more minutes or ten more minutes or two days or two weeks, and if we were totally reliant upon a medical machine to extend our lives, uh, studies show that we are more likely to depend on those things than non-religious people. The people who believe that life comes through death, that it is an entrance into new life, whether it is in a life while we are breathing or after it, don't believe it. But here the Magi, outsiders, they recognize something that even the one who came to his own people didn't recognize. And that is where life is found. Not where life is found, but in whom life is found. And they didn't get the celestial choirs. They didn't get the angels revealing the prophecies. But as outsiders, as pagan Gentiles, there was a sign that appeared. And it was a mere star that for years they followed to find the one who's born king of the Jews. A foreign king. What does it mean to live? What does it mean for us to seek life in such a way that we believe it and that it manifests itself in the way that we live? You see, in these figures around our nativity scene, they realize that we have the great potential to forget, or at least to take for granted, what it means to be invited into the life of God and to find out what it means to truly live. Mary got it. She got it. And you say, well, she was poor. She was lowly. She was from Nazareth. Of course she wanted more. 
The shepherds wanted it. And you might say, of course they wanted it. They were ostracized. And now they're acknowledged and taken into the life of God and, and announced this great happening by a celestial choir. Of course they want more. But what about the Magi? What about us? They had full buckets. They had everything they needed and wanted, supposedly, yet traveled great distance to stand beside salvation in this baby. Just so they could offer gifts. Just so they could offer gifts to a foreign king. They weren't poor or cast out, but they were foreigners to the story. Yet there was something so compelling about the story that they traveled a great distance. What did they think they would encounter? Think, what, what did they think? Can you imagine? This is the king of the world. But something, they knew it when they saw it. And what do we read in the gospel? They fell down. They didn't just say, hey, here's a, here's a, here's a gift for you, something we brought to say congrats. <laughs> they fell down and worshipped and offered their riches, their finest things. They had drugged for what could have been years from a foreign country and fell down before this king. What else did they need? What do we need? What do you need? So much that would compel you to travel distance to the light, to fall down and to offer your very best, your heart. What do you need or want that would compel you to travel? What do you need that would cause you to abandon your job on a dark hillside? What do you need so much that you would take the humiliation of burying a child as a betrothed young woman? There's a problem with this question. I think the problem is the question, the problem is that we ask the question, what do I need? This is the bigger reality. The bigger reality is that God knows what you need. He knew what those magi needed. He knew what the shepherd needed. He knew what Mary needed. He knows what every one of you needs better than you know. And so asking, what do I need and is God the one who could give it to me? is a moot question. Do you believe that? They didn't just travel. They traveled with gifts, risking robbery, carrying a heavier load. They were so wrapped up with the invitation that they would somehow, as foreigners, be invited into the story. They weren't thinking 
you know what I need? I need this. And He has it. It's there. Instead, what we read is that they were thinking, what do I have that I can give? I'm going to look for the greatest treasures, everything that I have. What do I have? And they showed up, they knocked on the door, and they threw it at His feet. What do you have to give? Not what do you need. What will you give? Matthew reads, when they saw the star, listen, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped Him. And then opening their treasures, they offered Him gifts. Gold? Frankincense? and embalming spices. Immer. Isaiah prophesied that foreign kings would bow before him. And here they are. Don't you know it's true that the kings of our world, of our day, will bow before him? And Matthew tells us that Herod would kill to prevent this rule yet we still ask is he king is he worthy of what we can give him he is king overall is he king of your life does he rule your life if so today maybe we could ask ourselves what else do I have to give? What are the indicators in my life that somehow I'm convinced that I have everything I need? What are we withholding? He is king overall, but is he the king of our lives? Amen.